Hi, this is Bob of Bob and Joyce. You know, we've been at this for about six months, so we thought it would be good to stop and take a pause and ask our listeners what you like about the show and perhaps what you'd like to see going forward. So today we begin that transition in that one you said uh, you would like our programs to be shorter so you could listen to them on the car ride home or while you're out on a walk. So we are committing to going forward, trying to keep ourselves within a 15 to 20 minute window. And we begin that today. The second thing we heard is uh, like OD practitioners you are, you want us to have edgier conversations. So we begin that today with the topic of common CEO, CEO flaws and why they matter. Enjoy. Welcome, come on in, grab a snack. We're gonna jump right into our topic, which is the flaws that we saw in CEOs that we worked with. Um, and we've worked with plenty. I, I can count 25 that I've worked with. So, um, ready, get set, go. You wanna go first? First, let's make a disclaimer. Every CEO has flaws. Yeah. Their strengths have to be what the organization needs at the time. And the handling of their flaws is to hire people who can do what they can't do or who compensate for what they can't do period. Now, flaws we saw. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I'm going to, if you are open to it, expand it to C-suite. Okay. Uh, so I think we can talk about CEO, but I'd like to talk about the top leaders in an organization. Okay. Uh, so um, a flaw that I think is pretty common is uh, being blind to certain really important elements of the business or things that are happening um, that typically is the uh, exaggeration of a strength. So if you have a lot of self-assurance, uh, confidence in, in your judgment and how you see things, uh, oftentimes it, it takes those blind spots and makes them oh so much bigger. I personally would be terrified of my blind spots and I found out about a lot of them after I left the role. And so I would, I could not be a CEO without bringing together a random group of people at least once a month. And I would prefer it by phone or virtually once a week to say, tell me what I'm not seeing. Wow. That's a, such an important, I couldn't do it. I'd have to have that tactical sense of what was going on. Uh, flaws I saw was either assuming people understood the big picture or in terms of strategy, they were saying the same thing they thought, but they used different words to come at it. So a consistent, clear, constant message about strategy and the direction and the, and the foil for every decision can be, become background because of course the CEO is carrying it around in his or her head all the time. Yeah. So not communicating strongly enough the direction and the point of view and why and how. And, and if I can add to that, uh, it's kind of a, a minor flaw underneath what you're just describing is uh, the flaw of not having the staying power 
to have that communication be repeated again and again and again. And just as at the point where you think I'm being so repetitive and people are getting it again and again. So I, I see that as uh, a flaw that I've seen in leaders because they're, they're kind of living in the future. They want to get on with it, you know, and they've had the time and space and conversations to get it uh, and the impatience of not staying with that long enough. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, here, here's a flaw that I've seen, um, and I'm going to call it the rear view mirror mm-hmm. uh, perspective. Yeah. And that is to somehow um, build a model that is always looking almost exclusively to what has worked in the past. So it's like, what levers have I pulled in the past to be able to, to help a business or get out of a slump or whatever the, the challenge is? And, and, not, and here's the flaw. The flaw is not really looking at the situation as it exists and what new... Uh, dimensions of this challenge that would uh, literally uh, render past rearview mirror solutions uh, obsolete. Mm. So it's like pulling the same lever. Yeah, no, I understand that. I can think of a flaw, and I'm trying to remember out of the 25 I worked with who had what, being too subtle in the communication of displeasure. Ah, tell me Actually, more. Actually, they tended to either uh, be too subtle to say, this isn't working, you're not working, I don't like this, or too harsh, or too harsh, too late. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> I think that is a huge one. I think top people, and I know this is true from people who are practicing in the field, are horrible that straight talk and with reason their voice is way too much yeah so you can wound somebody with a casual comment uh or they wait too long and then it's too harsh and too blunt and you can say what the hell i'm that's not true so um in terms of not being pleased with the way something's going or how someone is working it's too gentle or too harsh and um, so I get kind of the extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you tell, you know, so playing the role of OD confidant, what would you tell the leader that is a little bit on the slow side, not as transparent with displeasure? What would you tell them? Well, I kind of want to stick with the flaws, but on this, what I would do is uh, coach them probably to have a sentence to start the conversation that they can't run away from. I want to talk to you about something that we need to correct. I want to talk to you about something that's been bothering me and it's X. I'm concerned about X that you're doing. Give them an opening sentence because then once you've dived off the board, you're in the waters. You're in the water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, and I think toning it down is harder. Yeah. I, I, depending I, on the CEO. Yeah. I think depending on the individual. So, yeah. um, okay. Um, what, what, a, go ahead. Looks like you had something. No, it came and went, go ahead. You what go about, first. What about the role of charisma? 
I, I don't care about it. I, I think it matters less today than it ever has. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would take the word um, charismatic out and substitute it with authenticity, uh, ringing true, um, you know, uh, a sense of being very mindful. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think- so what, were the, what were the, the flaws that we saw with that? I'm thinking of a couple of CEOs that got, um, along with charisma can be inflated, <laughs> getting too large for the situation and it yep. turns off people. Well, and this is, uh, so this is a flaw that uh, I saw in a CEO, and maybe this is kind of not toning down your criticism or your dissatisfaction, but I think it's, it's different. And it's, it's the flaw of always putting the positive spin on almost every situation or challenge. Mm-hmm. And the flaw becomes if, if you're always the, the voice in the room that's positive, it can, it can ring pretty hollow. It's, yep. it's like it diminishes, um, it diminishes, I think, the intention that the leader's trying to have. I, um, so it's, it's being overly positive, not um, perhaps reflective and uh, self-critical. I'm not yeah. sure that makes any sense, but it's... I've no, seen- I did. I just, I was trying to uh, get specific in my own head about the CEOs I've worked for. Um, well, here's a common flaw, I think, still exists, hiding in your office. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, the open door policy, I'm available. Come on in if you dare. Yeah. Um, but keep it short. Don't bother me. And actually, I knew many a CEO that knew how to keep meetings short by standing up, kind of meeting people at the door (laughs) (laughs) as if they were headed out, (laughs) like, oh, I got to use the restroom. Um, uh, And also disappearing when the organization is going through something incredibly tough and the CEO is absolutely noodling on it, talking with external people, really working on it and forgetting that he or she has to be seen, even if it's walking, you know, just get out and walk around the building. And, um, and I understand that. I hid in my office um, during times like that or, or, and I think this is also coming where I thought people don't want to see me coming. Well, they did. Yeah. They did. Yeah. I so much didn't want to um, micromanage that I didn't manage. Well, and I, I also I, hired people that wanted to not be managed. But still. <laughs> you know, uh, the the one uh, my own personal experience is I I too. I mean, when things aren't going well, when I'm feeling a little powerless. I just want to sit in my office and, uh, and, and think. Um, and what I have found that when I resist that and I go out and I have conversations, I am never disappointed with the value of those conversations. Almost like I can't imagine 
mean you mean going out when you're scared and yeah yeah so it's like resisting yeah it's resisting the urge to isolate and not be as visible i have found that when i have pushed into that resistance and gone out i've gotten valuable information and learning from the people that i've connected with yep and i can think of about four ceos that would go out quote to the people touching the customer. They'd go out and touch the business, not think about the business, go out and touch the business. And not only would they come back rejuvenated, they would find some kind of a nugget that would help them get out of the pickle. And I'm talking big pickles, people. Yeah. You know, are you ready for another flaw? I am. I, I would say a flaw that I've observed is being too stuck in the day-to-day details of the business. You know, uh, it's, it's like coming in uh, as a CEO or a top leader and, and somehow setting aside your hat that says I'm an expert uh, and, and wanting to get into, uh, you know, the bowels of the organization and, and making decisions and challenging decisions. Uh, there's a balance between uh, execution and being in the details and then being strategic and seeing the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've seen the flaw of, of staying stuck in the tactical in a way that disarms and uh, diminishes the, the the team that they're working with. Mm, So just digging too deep. Well, kind of like a a parent and I've been guilty of this uh, that is trying to, to, teach uh, their child how to do something new and then just says, oh, let, let me show you. <laughs> yeah, smother CEO, not yeah. a smother mother, not a smother father, a smother CEO. Um, oh, I had, I had <laughs> I like one. That. Yeah, I had one and it went away. Oh. I've never seen, I'm trying to think if I should use never, and I think I shouldn't. C-suite meetings are not well run often. I've seen the CEO dominate the meeting and I've seen the CEO actually not want to be at the meeting. Uh, And so how to, and one of the things I have suggested frequently is to have the CEO rotate who is going to run the meeting, pick the topics, you know, go around and figure that out and run the meeting. And it takes away the sloppiness or the sleepiness of a meeting. Uh, yeah, I guess I just want to say that I've seen poorly design poorly executed C-suite meetings where people don't wanna go or they're terrified to go and not where they can go with some excitement to solve a problem and to have uh, group support. Yeah, and this is, once again, this may be a flaw that's uh, embedded in the flaw you just shared. uh, And that is uh, a CEO who dominates the conversation. I, uh, I I once got some feedback um, that said, if you're essentially the top person at that table, you should be, your voice should be the last heard or the least frequently heard. And it's, it's interesting when you kind of flip that, 
uh, and how the, how the meeting changes in a way that is, is more productive and positive. Mm-hmm. And actually depending on whether you're introverted or extroverted with introverted CEOs, I would say, get your voice out there first. Otherwise everybody thinks you're mad at them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Good point. you know, say, get, say something. So, um, once again, I want to underline, and, and maybe we should stop here and come back later, I don't know, but every CEO is a person. <laughs> some fit perfectly with what's needed, some don't. And um, often the HROD person is the one who helps fine tune what's needed or hires what's needed to complement that yeah. very specific CEO Every CEO has its own, his or her thumbprint that has a lot of value with some things that um, need to be fine-tuned or shut off or amplified or whatever you want to say, but there ain't no perfect CEO. There is no perfect CEO. So I I have um, a leftover uh, that as we wound down the conversation, I'd be interested in your thoughts. One thing that you said uh, that really resonated with me is only recognizing and seeing your blind spots uh, after you've left or you look back uh, six months, a year. Um, Like I find myself literally reframing so much of my career um, with saying, gosh, I really was treating that the wrong way or my approach was off. How do, how do you kind of freeze the moment so that your flaws, uh, you, you know, you, you can see what you might be missing? You've got to ask. Who do you ask? It's your task to ask. And it's your task. I love that. It's your task to ask. And that means I would have that little mini marketing group or, you know, I would have to go out and talk to people and say, what's working, what isn't, what can I do that makes you work better and with more enthusiasm? And I would, ha- I would probably do a formal um, questionnaire periodically with my top group and or if I were good enough <laughs> or I bring in my OD or my HR person to run a conversation. Uh, and, I, and by the way, we can come back, how's our time? Uh, we, we're, we're fine. Let's let's kind of hold ourselves to five minutes. Okay. I have an approach that has really worked well, and that's to have everybody in the C-suite group have one-on-ones with everybody, including the yeah. CEO, with the question of a, a series of, I think, five questions. What do you, here's what I think you don't understand about my work. And they both say that. And then here's what, here's what you do that really helps my job. And here's what you really do that makes my job more difficult. And ending with uh, concluding what you asking, what do you, what do you think I don't see? Or here's what I want you to know about my work that kind of thing. And ending with, um, Here's what I appreciate about how and what you contribute. And each conversation lasted 15 minutes. So it took half a day. And they came back very refreshed, cleared away any dead wood that needed to be cleared away, but with safe questions. And then um, 
summarized what it meant for their group as a whole. Going forward, what do we need to do differently? Simple. I mean, as the ODHR person, all I did was time the conversations. I gave them a list of questions that went <laughs> over yeah. and over. Yeah. It, you know really, it, it helped with the blind spots like crazy. Oh, yeah. So I'll tell you, I've been a part of a team where we did that. And it was to the person incredibly powerful. Right. You know, um, and somehow, even though they were individual one on one conversations, when we got back in community, something had changed. And everybody did end with, here's where I want to grow. Help yep. me. So simple from the OD perspective, you're not managing conflict. You're walking around saying, tie it up, on to the next, you know, on to your next dance partner. I highly recommend it. Yeah, well, good. I, um, one thing, and this, uh, I don't know whether it's addressing a flaw or a blind spot, um, but when there is big change happening in the organization, one thing that a CEO did with me and kind of my change agent partner, um, we met uh, with them once a month to give our gritty assessment of where we were in the change, where it was working, where it wasn't, where's the resistance, where is it taking off? And I thought it was brilliant. So it's a little bit like your five questions, but in the context of a, a pretty significant uh, organizational change. And uh, the CEO didn't have to do that. He could have met with us, with his executive team, but mm -hmm. he literally took the time once a month. Um, and it was both exhilarating and terrifying because what came out of your mouth typically uh, resulted in something shifting in his or her conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So another intervention. So Joyce. Um, <laughs> so Bob. I enjoyed we... today's conversation. I, I wasn't, you know, uh, the, I think about being in the quagmire and uh, hacks and, and flips. Um, and I was a little bit concerned that uh, flaws would be more of the negative, but I think it was well done in terms of what we uh, uncovered. Well, the other thing to remember is CEOs get scared. Imagine that, like yeah. real human beings with right. incredible, enormous amount of pressure. Yep, and they carry it, and sometimes they too have a right to be scared. Yeah, for sure. That. <laughs> okay, Joyce, well... Um, until the next time, everyone, uh, please join us and uh, yeah, let and us tell, know. Tell your friends, time. we want, we would love to have some of you come on for a conversation. So go to our Facebook page um, where we hope to hear questions from you. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll we want bring to hear you on you. live and it'll be fun. There's the invitation. Say goodbye, Joyce. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Bob and Joyce podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and picked up an idea or two to go forward and do great work. For more information, please visit us at bobandjoyce.com. If you like today's podcast, please click subscribe. And even better, give us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It supports us and helps others define the show. 
If you'd like more ODHR content, please follow us on Facebook by searching for Bob and Joyce Podcast. Until the next time, be well and be safe.